right, now's the time, if you would, to take out the, the full-page insert. Uh, you have on one side uh, Luke chapter 4, just a, a verse later from where we left off in the Gospel reading, and then the, the back side, uh, then Luke chapter, chapter 5. We are towards the very end of the first year of Jesus' public ministry, right? And I've called this, the, the, the last several Sundays here, his inaugural year, his inauguration began, the beginning of his public ministry was at his baptism, right? And Jesus began well, baptized by John, God the Father spoke, this is my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit fluttered down over the Jordan River, landed upon Jesus. He went into the wilderness and, and he went toe-to-toe in a spiritual fight with the greatest tempter ever. And, and Jesus overcame every time. And, and, and as, as Jesus began his ministry, he starts to reveal himself through what he does and through what he says. And, and those disciples that he called, they very clearly realized there's something very, very special, unique about this Jesus of Nazareth. And we saw just a few minutes ago uh, that, that Jesus demonstrated his power. He taught with authority in the synagogues. And, 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 and you think about it, Jesus says God knows all things. He has infinite knowledge. And he had the ability to teach. And people were amazed, literally struck with awe whenever Jesus taught them. We saw as well that, that Jesus was able to do what no one else could ever do. He had power over the demonic, evil spirits. They came out of people. He silenced them. He delivered people literally from their demons. So Jesus has power over the demonic. Jesus also had the, the power to heal. And we had two examples of that in our reading. We have the mother-in-law of Peter, the very high fever, and Jesus rebukes the fever. And, and I love it that, that she obviously was a, a type of person who liked to serve and, and, and that, and, and she's finally feeling better, and she immediately gets up and begins serving them. Then Jesus shows that he can heal any disease, any problem. And, and, and people come to Jesus, and, and one by one, each one of them, we're told he, he put his hands on them, he delivered each person from that town from whatever ailment they had. So, so Jesus has the power to heal. Now keep in mind, he's, he has called his disciples. They're getting to know Jesus. So I want to take a little bit further and show that, that Jesus has power like none other. He has power to catch, first of all. And secondly, he has power not just to heal, but to cleanse. So two more stories. We just follow Luke's gospel. We are now in Luke chapter 4. And we begin with the cash. Excuse me, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, now Simon, Peter, and James and John, their profession was that they were, were fishermen. 
That's what they did. That's what they had a lot of experience in. They would be considered expert fishermen. The Sea of Galilee, back then as well as today, the best time to fish is at night along the shoreline. The game fish, the the fish that are desirable for eating, during the day, the heat of the day, they go to the deep waters of the Sea of Galilee. It's a very large lake, fresh water. I believe it's like seven miles wide, nine miles tall. And the deepest point in the Sea of Galilee is 141 feet. And during the day, the game fish are there deep down. But at nighttime, the game fish go to the, the shorelines. They eat freshwater crab, and, and, and they, they eat crawdads, and they eat smaller fish. And fishermen back then as well as today, the best time, second to none, is during the night to go fishing. And the way they caught fish was dropping nets down. And these nets were designed not to go very deep at all. Nets that were designed for shallow water fishing. And the nets would catch everything in their path, including trash fish, but also game fish. So it's the next morning. The fishermen have, have stayed up all night. And they're there along the shoreline, cleaning their nets. Now, we're told they caught nothing that entire night. But you still have to clean the nets of all the junk and the debris, weeds, and so forth. So uh, the Sea of Galilee, uh, there are some areas that the ascent from the, 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 the water level is very steep, but other places where it's just a gradual, uh, you know, just almost like an amphitheater, where the, the water's edge, uh, water travels or, excuse me, sound travels quite well over water. And, and people were, were gathering. Word was out that, that Jesus preaches like nobody else. So people are there, and, and the fishermen like, like Simon are cleaning their nets. Jesus is there, and he wants to teach the people. So it's, it's kind of a neat scene. And I, I picture birds fluttering and, and, and chirping, and you know, the sound of the sea and the smell of the sea. A nice day. And Jesus decides that the best way to preach that day was to actually get in that boat. So here's, here's Peter again in the water, washing his nets. And, and Jesus gets into his boat, which is up on the sand. He says, Peter, would you push out a little bit? So you have to picture Peter holding a rope, right? The, you won't, don't want the boat just to keep going into the sea. He's holding the boat, and it's maybe 10, 20 feet from shore. And Jesus uses that fishing boat to do a different type of fishing. He's fishing with the word of God. He is teaching his word. And, and, and many people are hearing this, and his sermons were for the people on the shoreline, but his sermon was also for Peter and James and John, those original disciples of Jesus. Verses 4 and 5. When Jesus had finished speaking, we don't know how long that was. I picture maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half. He said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let the nets down for a catch. Now, no, no, you have to understand this, that fishing, again, in Jesus' day was done at night, close to the shore. The game fish would be down deep. It's just unheard of that you'd go to the center of the lake and cast nets. Those nets were not designed to go deep at all. So this was going against everything that, that Peter knew as a fisherman. Everything that he was an expert in. Yet we're told this. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. 
We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And it makes me wonder if Peter was thinking, but we're not going to catch anything. Jesus, you're good at preaching. You can heal. You have power demons, but fishermen, you're not. But he obeys Jesus. Interesting what Jesus is about to accomplish next. Verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat, James and John, and to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. I've never uh, fished with nets. I've always used fishing pole, uh, live bait, or lures and that. But I can imagine that if you cast nets and you come across such a large quantity of fish, it, it would jerk the boat, right? There's something in the net causing fishermen to be really excited. You know, there's something there, and, and, and they start pulling the nets in and realizing it's just completely filled with, with game fish. And, and, and so much so that the nets are beginning to break. That's the fisherman's greatest dream. It's also his greatest fear, right? You're going to lose the, the catch. And they signal the other boat, Peter or James and John, and, and, and they come to that center of the lake, and um, they start taking the fish out of the net into the, the one boat and then the other boat, and there's so many fish, so many fish that those boats are weighted down, both of them, so that they are beginning to sink. Without a doubt, this had to have been the greatest single catch of fish they had ever caught. They are stunned. They're experienced fishermen. They have never experienced anything like this. Now, I want you to put yourself in the, the sandals of Peter. He's in that boat. He somewhat reluctantly, yet he obeyed Jesus, did something that totally went against his grain of thinking, his expertise. And as a result, there is such a large catch of fish that the boats are filled up and they're taking on water. What was Peter's reaction? You might think that Peter would say, amazing, we're going to be rich. We have more fish than ever before. We'll be set for a long time. But that wasn't Peter's reaction at all. Verses 8 through 10. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. What was Peter's response? His response was one of shame. Now, now, guilt and shame, what are they? Guilt is you feel bad about something you did. Right? We've, we've all felt guilt. We did, we've, we've done something wrong and it triggers guilt. Shame is much worse. Shame is not feeling sorry about something you did or regret. Shame is feeling bad about who you are. Simon says, I am a sinful man with the fish around him. Jesus, go away from me. Why was Peter feeling shame? Now, to better understand this, I want you to think of right now, perhaps even jot it down uh, on your bulletin or on the, the insert, what are you good at? 
What are you an expert in? Where others would say, yes, this person is very good at, this person is an expert in, what is it? Maybe it's your career. Maybe you're an expert in being an engineer. Or maybe your expertise is nursing. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe you're an expert in restoring cars, whatever it is. I want you to jot down what that is that you're an expert in. Now, I want you to imagine a person who is more of an expert in that field. Somebody that has 10 times more knowledge and more experience than you do. How does that make you feel? Now, what if that person has 100 times more expertise and 100 times more knowledge than you do? How does that make you feel? It probably makes you feel inadequate, right? You thought you were an expert, but you're not. This person is, I'm not. Now, imagine a person who isn't just 100 times greater than you are, but a, a person who is infinitely greater than you are. That's what, what Peter is experiencing. They didn't know Jesus was a fisherman. But as it turns out, he's the greatest fisherman ever. And, and, and Jesus is the Son of God. He is righteous. He is holy. He is the Almighty. And he's in the boat with me. And by comparison, I am a sinful man. I am filled with shame. I'm not in this guy's league. Jesus, you need to go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Jesus' next words are so important for Peter. They're also very important uh, to us as well. Jesus said to Simon, verse 10, Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. And by the way, God speaks those words oftentimes with people like Peter who realize just how holy God is and how, how unholy they are. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Peter. Now, now, theologians have, have labeled this the idea that, that God is infinitely greater than we are. God is infinitely more righteous than we are and more powerful than we are. The transcendence of God. God transcends his creation. Now, we have the advantage right now through technology to look at the universe and, and look at you know, other uh, galaxies, and we're, we're stunned at how large this universe we live in is. But the biblical fact is God, the creator, is far greater. He transcends his creation. We need to realize that the God we worship is all-powerful. And when we realize that, truly realize that, like Peter, we, we feel like, God, you are so much greater than I am. Get away from me. I'm a shameful person. But Jesus said, do not be afraid which tells us about another important characteristic of God. Not only uh, is, does God transcend his creation, but there's something that theologians call God's imminence. God's imminence is his locality, his presence. Where is God that day? God is in the boat with Peter. God is with Peter, a shameful person because of, he's a sinner. And yet God says, do not be afraid. In other words, Peter, it's okay. Yeah, I'm far greater than you. I have infinite knowledge. 
I know more about fishing than you do. It's okay. I love you, man. I'm, I'm with you. And, and, and I want you to learn another type of fishing, Peter. So, so Jesus again says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats to shore, left everything, and followed him. There are actually two miracles here. The first miracle is the great number of fish that they caught. The second miracle is that you have fishermen who make their living on fish, and they walk away from the greatest catch ever to follow Jesus. They left everything. Imagine uh, other fishermen seeing the boats filled with fish. Nobody else is there. They left everything because Jesus had power like none other. Let's move on uh, to the, the next story. So we're now on verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. There are several things here that interest me, perhaps you as well. For one thing, leprosy is different than other diseases. We saw before that, that um, Simon, Simon's mother-in-law had a high fever. Jesus healed her, right? People with different physical ailments came to Jesus. He touched them. He healed them. But leprosy is not something that you heal. The Bible uses a different word. You cannot be healed from leprosy. You must be cleansed from leprosy. Now, now leprosy, horrible disease. There's, there's different types of it. Some are more infectious than others. But this man apparently had a very infectious type of leprosy. More than likely, his skin was a, a really uh, washed-out, whitish color. Leprosy attacks the, the, our nerves, and people that, that have leprosy, they're missing limbs quite often, legs, arms, feet. And the reason is uh, they cannot feel any pain. You might say, well, that's a good thing. No, it's not, because they injure themselves. And, and because of that, they can't feel pain, and, and their, their limbs go missing because their body's not reacting the way it should. In Jesus' day, in the ancient world, forms of leprosy... Uh, they, they, they had to deal pretty harshly with it because it was contagious. It would spread from one person to the other. And, and if you came down with leprosy, immediately your life was forever changed. If your profession was a fisherman, you could no longer be a, a fisherman. If you were a carpenter, you could no longer be a carpenter. You went from, again, eking out a living to being destitute immediately. Lepers were sent away. They weren't allowed to, to mingle, to talk, 
to associate with the rest. That's the way it was. These were very desperate people. If you, if you had leprosy, again, uh, you would be a destitute person. You'd have very little hope. Now, now, a second thing that's interesting to me is that the leper comes into town. And Jesus goes to another town. He's in the town. A leper comes up to him. What's the leper doing in town? Um, do you realize the penalty was death? If a leper left the leper colony and came into a town, he was basically risking his very life. The, 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 the community could take stones and stone him to death. So, so this man is risking his own life, and why did he do it? Did he want the whole town to have leprosy? The answer is no. He had heard that Jesus, the Son of God, the healer, was in town. He's a desperate man. He risked his very life. And that was quite amazing. The third thing that, 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 that interests me and is amazing to me is how he approaches Jesus. So there's Jesus. He comes up to him. His head is to the ground. And, and the way he asks for his healing, Lord, if you are willing, cleanse me. He didn't say, uh, Jesus, if you're able, cleanse me, or Jesus, you have to cleanse me, or I have no hope. He said, Jesus, if you're willing, cleanse me. He approaches him humbly. Verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. (laughs) I want to stop there for a second. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. This is unheard of. You just don't touch a leper. In the Old Testament, this is a very clear teaching that if you are clean, you don't touch something that's unclean. Lepers were considered unclean. And in fact, in the Old Testament, if you touched an unclean animal or if you touched a dead body, you were ceremonially unclean for, for a long time, for many, many days. You had to go through a purification rite to, to, to go back to worship. They took clean and unclean very seriously. And if you were healthy and clean and you touched a leper, that made you unclean. Yet Jesus touched him before he heals him. We might ask the question, why? I think it has to do with the eminence of God. You realize this man probably had not been touched by a healthy person for decades? Yet Jesus, the Son of God, touches him. Next, Jesus says, I am willing. I am willing. I desire to do this. And then Jesus spoke the words, Be clean. And immediately, the man is is free of his leprosy completely, instantly. Now, again, we look at why Jesus would do this. And, And by the way, did Jesus have to touch him to heal him? The answer is no. Jesus could have just spoken the word, but he desires to touch him first. I am willing. Cleanse him. In Scripture, there is something else that human beings must be cleansed of, not just leprosy. The Bible uses that exact same terminology. 
we must be cleansed. And it's in regards to our sinfulness. Sins are not something that can be healed. Sinfulness is something that has to be cleansed. But the good news is, is that Jesus has the power to cleanse. Now, now we know from Scripture what it is that cleanses us. It required the, the innocent suffering and death of Jesus. His innocent blood was literally shed on that cross. And nothing cleanses us from our sins like the blood of Jesus. In fact, nothing else can cleanse us but the blood of Jesus. It tells us that Jesus has the power to cleanse, and he accomplished that at the cross. And and, and Jesus is willing to be with us, and he has changed our life forever. Now, he tells the man, we're going to conclude it here, Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded you for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Moses allowed a provision. If if there's a leper who becomes clean, you have to go show yourself to the priest. He has to examine you. He was like the doctor. And only by the doctor's orders, when he would see that you are cleansed, that he would declare that everything is okay. Jesus said, do this. Don't tell anyone. Show yourself to the priest. And then give testimony to me. When they ask you, how did this happen? Say, Jesus of Nazareth. He is the one who cleansed me from my leprosy. Verse 15, yet news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So this marks the end of the the first year of Jesus' public ministry. He began well. He ended strong. My friends, the same is true today. There is no greater power than the power of Jesus Christ. When you look at yourself, again, just realize how great he is. We underestimate the greatness of Jesus. Again, power like none other. But he's a a powerful being, God in the flesh. But he's willing to be with us. And he has already cleansed us from our sins. He is with you every day of your life. My friends, there is no other Savior like Jesus Christ. A power like none other, but a power a Lord who is with us. Amen. May the true peace of God, which surpasses our understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus as your Messiah and Lord. Amen.